This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Under such a miserable day that the Navi Yermia cursed the day, the day of his birth, from time immemorial. Tishabav has been the most tragic day on our calendar. The Mishnah at the end of Masechta Tainis records five tragedies that happened on Tishabav, beginning with the very first Tishabav in history, when the Miraglim came back slandering Eretz Yisrael. And Klal Yisrael vayivku ha'am balaylo ha'hu, where upon Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "Atem mechisa mechiyah shalchinam," you're crying for naught. Ani koyvea lochem mechiyah ledoyrois. The Mishnah continues. The first base of Megiddo was destroyed on Tishbav. The second base of Megiddo was destroyed on Tishbav. The great city of Beitar was captured on Tishbav, and Tornus Rufus plows the Temple Mount, the city of Yishalayim, on Tishabav. So the Navi Yirmiyah had good reason to curse this day. And throughout history, Tishabav has been a lightning rod of sorts for Jewish tragedy. The Jewish community of England was exiled, 1295, the year Kala, on Tishabav. The community of France was exiled on Tishabav. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up here in Flatbush. It was a week before my bar mitzvah. My bar mitzvah was in the Agoda of Avenue L. It was, a sh- it was Tishabav Shechaliyos B'Shabbos. And I'm walking with my father to the shul. So, where's the shul? The Agoda of Avenue L burnt down on Tishabav. The week before my bar mitzvah. But likely the worst tragedy that ever happened in history on Tishabav, the tragedy of the Gerushe Sfarad, Spanish Inquisition. I want to speak about that today. I'm just returning from Spain and Portugal. And I think we could glean some very important insights. Firstly, you should know that at the time of the Chorben Bayis Rishon, Jews came to Bavel, Jews came to Europe, many Jews came to Spain. And then in the times of the Bayisheni, Ezra says, no, you didn't come back. And they said, no, Jews stayed in Bavel, Jews stayed in Spain. And if you read the Navi Ovadia, the Jews that were exiled to Spain, they remained in Spain. And then the second base Hamikdash was destroyed. And even more Jews came to Spain. So you have two, in the year 68 of the Common Era, you basically have two groups of Jews in Spain. Jews from first base Hamikdash, from the second base Hamikdash. For 1400 years, there's a major kehila in Spain. And in the 10th century, upon the decline of the great Torah academies of Sura and Pompadisa, Spain becomes the epicenter of Torah Jewry. Now, I just want to debunk the following myth. There's a Jewish phenomenon. We Yidin, we love to look back at a Gullus, and after they brutalize us and murder us and torture us, we like to look back and say, oh, is a zoy geshmak there in the Gullus. That's the Jewish phenomenon. So we talk about the golden age of Spain. That's a scam. There was no golden age of Spain. Jewish history is relative. In Spain, it was replete with massacre, pogroms, persecution, hundreds of thousands of forced conversions, as we'll learn. 
There was a small window of maybe 200 years under the Mohammedans where we had some respite, but there was no golden age of Spain, but that's Jewish phenomenon. For example, we look back at Mitzrayim, and after 400 years in Egypt, where they took our children and buried them in pyramids, we say, oh, cucumbers in Mitzrayim, it was so gishmak. Zacharnu es hadaga. We do this to every gullus. Now, we may be familiar with a lot of information about the Spanish Inquisition, and I'm here to tell you that whatever we know is probably from secular sources, and whatever exists in Jewish sources, most people are not familiar with. First, I would like to present to you what is considered the most authoritative and comprehensive first-hand account of the Spanish Inquisition and expulsion from one of the greatest Jewish luminaries who is present, Rabbi Don Yitzchak Abarbanel. Now the Abarbanel not only wrote a commentary on Tanakh, but he's also a link in the Messiah of Halacha. So for instance, the Beis Yosef in Simon Kuf Samaches refers to Abarbanel as Hanesher Hagadol. So Abarbanel records astonishing historical information in his commentary to Yehoshua, Hoshea, and most extensively in his Hakdama to Sefer Malachim. Abarbanel lived from 1438, remember the date, till the year Chassar, 1508. When Abarbanel passed away, Klal Yisrael said, Chassar, we're missing. Many Yidin had given up hope of the coming of Mashiach, so the Abarbanel wrote a trilogy called Migdal Yeshuais. Volume 1, Yeshuais Mashiachai. Volume 2, Mayane Yeshua. Volume 3, Mashmiya Yeshua. Abarbanel begins his career in Portugal. He's the finance minister of King Alfonso, who the Abarbanel called a righteous king. Now, this is an important historical fact. Alfonso is married to Infante Isabella, the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabel. So that's one fact that's not so well known. Alfonso dies in 1481, and he's succeeded by his son, Joao II. Joao executes all of his father's advisors. The Abarbanel gets a knock on the door. Joao would like to see you. He needs Eitzah Toiva. And the Abarbanel is told he doesn't need Eitzah, he needs to chop off your head. So the Abarbanel runs for his life. And he runs and he runs with his pursuers at his back. And he makes it into Spain with his pursuers at his neck. He arrives in Spain penniless in complete anonymity, which is always good for a rabbi. He arrives in Toledo, and he begins to write his commentary on Tanakh, Sefer Yehoshua, Shmuel, Shoftim, but it's not long until he's summoned by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. And in this capacity, Abarbanel advises the king and queen, and he builds up Spain as the world financial superpower. But peace would not last long. Ferdinand and Isabella had ambition of reconquista, reconquering the Iberian Peninsula. Okay, some dates are at hand. 622, Mohammed comes to the scene. 711, okay, next time you go to 711, you remember. 711, the Arab, the Muslims cross the Strait of Gibraltar and conquer the Iberian Peninsula. 
Ferdinand and Isabella have dreams of reconquista, reconquering the Iberian Peninsula. In 1487, Malaga fell to the Christian monarchs. And then the ominous year 1492 came. On January 2nd, 1492, Ferdinand and Isabella won a great victory. Granada, where they were trying to conquer the last Muslim stronghold in the Iberian Peninsula. I was just there last week in Granada at the great fortress, the Alhambra Palace. In 1492, Granada falls to the Christians. It's one of the greatest victories in world history. The conquest of Granada. And the arrogant king returns victorious. And he says, Ma Oshiv Lashem How could I ever repay the Almighty? Now Spain has conquered the Iberian Peninsula. Says Abarbanel, Vayoimer Esav Beliboy, Bames How could I find favor in the eyes of God? other than to take all those miserable Jews who walk in darkness and force them to embrace the true religion, and if they don't, they'll be banished from the Iberian Peninsula. Says Abarbanel, Yotza Dvar Malchus Milofanov, Kedosei Parasumadai. Says Abarbanel, and it happened in the ominous year of 1492. The, the year 1492, many Achroinim find various Ramazim to the year 1492. The Remez of Abarbanel, Mizare Yisrael Akabtsena. Mizare is Gematria 1492, 252, and then you add the year 1240. Now, Barbanel writes, the decree went forth that in three months any Jew who does not accept the Christian faith will be banished from the country. And do you know what month it came out in, says Abarbanel? It came out in the ominous month of Av. This is the pshad in the Pasuk. Yoichleim chodesh eschalkehem. The month will consume them. The month that consumed the Jewish people in the time of Bayis Rishain. That month was after them, again, in the times of Bayasheni. That month, again, was after any survivors to destroy any remnant in the time of Spain in 1492. But frighteningly, says Abarbanel, not only was the month after them, the day was after them. Because Ferdinand didn't know, but the date of expulsion was scheduled for August 2nd, 1492, Tishabav Says the Abar He was unaware that that was Tishabav. He didn't even know what Tishabav was. But min hashamayim hidrichuhu lahagbalas hazman Heaven orchestrated it. Says Abarbanel, I was in the palace, but I couldn't keep my mouth closed. And I risked my life. And I screamed to the king with every fiber of my being. I said, King, save these people. History will judge you as a criminal. What do you want from them? You want money? I will raise a hefty sum to redeem every last Jew. And the Abarbanel pleaded and pleaded. 
and they were about to rescind the decree whereupon the great and terrible inquisitor, Turkamada, Thomas D. Turkamada, of Jewish descent, of course, Meharsayich, Umachrivayich, Mimech always, always. You know how many generals Hitler had of Jewish descent? 66! It's a fact, always, Meharsayich, Umachrivayich, Mimech and Turkamada came running in with a cross, ranting, raving, frightening them of the fires of the purgatory that will consume them in the afterlife. If they don't sign this decree, they asked Ababranel to step out. The decree was signed to go into effect August 2nd, Tishabav, 1492. By the way, thank you to the Spanish government, they decided to rescind the decree about 60 years ago. Turkamada had a very close relationship with Isabella. He was her personal confessor. He's appointed chief inquisitor. He personally is responsible for taking 30,000 lives, the pyres of people burning alive in Spain, filled the air. Says Abarbanel, since Golis Yushalayim, we never had a tragedy like this. Hundreds of thousands converted. That's what we're going to speak about soon. Hundreds of thousands left. Says Abarbanel, I among them, I was given exclusive rights to remain, to continue to be the finance minister, but I continued and I left with my brethren. And when we left on Tishbev, we were consoled by one thing and one thing only. The Yatsa Malcolm Lefnehem Vashem Barosham. We felt the Shechina was accompanying us as we left Spain. Where did we go? We had no idea. By the way, many tried out Portugal. They came to the borders in Portugal. People needed to pay. People didn't have money because they had to sell their property for ridiculous prices. So they couldn't get paid. Uh, they couldn't pay to get into Portugal. They were sent back to their homes. But now the borders were all closed. So they had no choice but to accept forced conversion. Some Jews went to Naples. The Abarbanel went to Naples. He said many of the ships that were taken, capsized, sunk. Abarbanel arrives in Naples in 1493, the year Geirim, 253. Whereupon the Abarbanel says, I've discovered now the meaning of Chisure Mechsera Vehachi Katani, that when you have no money, then you have the ability to learn Taira. Chisure Mechsera Vehachi Katani. One of the stories that the historians bring down, the Seder Hadorais, Rabbi Chil Halpern, he brings that there was a, a man who was escaping Spain with his elderly father and his little son. And he had no f- food for his elderly father and nothing for his son, so he went to the baker. And he told, Baker, my responsibility is for my father. Here's my son. Give me a loaf of bread. The baker, in exchange for the boy, gives a loaf of bread. He comes back to his aging, dying father. The father already passed on. He comes back to the baker. Here's the bread. Give me back to my son. The baker says, no backsies. 
Says Abarbanel, since Golos Yerushalayim, we never had a tragedy like this. Marv Raboisai, I have been thinking about this for many years. And I have one simple question for you. Here it is, it's Tishabav. We're not eating, we're not drinking, we're, we came here to mourn and to cry. Chorben Beis Hamikdash, Kinochaf Aleph, the Crusades. We talked about the Crusades today. Didn't happen on Tishabav. We mourn that today. Didn't happen on Tishabav. The burning of the Shas in France, 1240, didn't happen on Tishabav. But we trace everything back to Tishabav. Isn't there something glaringly and conspicuously absent from the Kinnis book? I mean, it's a big book. Art Scroll has managed to get almost 500 pages in the Kinnis. You name the tragedy, it's in there. Holocaust. What happened to the worst tragedy since the Chorban, the Abarbanel said? What happened to the tragedy that happened on Tishabav? Why don't we talk about the Spanish Inquisition on Tishabav? It happened today. By the way, it happened on a Thursday. It's not often we get to talk about the Spanish Inquisition on a Thursday. It happened on a Tishabav that Shechaliyos Biyom Hachamishi. I guarantee you, it wasn't a coincidence that the expulsion was scheduled for Tishabav. Rabbi say, are we missing something? Why do we not mourn the Spanish Inquisition on Tishabav? There must be something very important here. There must be a very fundamental reason we don't mourn the Inquisition on Tishabav. I want to share with you a historical fact. As hundreds of thousands of Jews were being expelled from Spain on Tishabav, 1492, the Gedoyle Yisrael, Abarbanel among them, ruled that they should be led by orchestral music on Tishabav. No a cappella going, real music. What was the reason for this? Number one, they were in danger of being demoralized, of becoming despondent, of falling into depression. So to boost their spirits, they played music. Number two, to express gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that as opposed to many, many others we're going to talk about soon, they were able to withstand the ultimate test. Hakaras HaToyv. Kiddush Hashem B'Simcha. And the third reason, writes the Sefer HaToydah, is to teach a very important lesson. We don't cry when we leave the Galos. We only cry when we leave Yerushalayim. It was tragic. It was devastating. No livelihood, nowhere to go. Homeless, evicted. But they never belonged in Spain in the first place. They were not leaving home. They were leaving Golos. A Jew never cries when they leave Golos because we don't belong in Golos. We know what the Seder Hadorah writes, that the community that experienced the most devastating persecution in the times of the Crusades was a community of worms. And the Sma, the Sefer Meir Asenayim, the Sma, wrote that the reason why the Kehillah of Worms experienced the worst tragedy in the times of the Crusades, 
Because in the times of the rebuilding of the second Beis HaMikdash, Ezra sent word to the Kehila of Worms, No, come back! Come back to Yusholayim! I know you have nice houses there in Varmaiza, but you don't, that's not your home. Come back to Eretz Yisrael! And the community of Worms said, Nah, you go to the great Yerushalayim and we'll stay here in Worms in our mini Yerushalayim. They were too comfortable in the Gullahs. Not that this has anything to do with us Jews in America, but one of the most prominent of the Gerushe Sfarad, Rabbi Avram Saba, writes, Why did these tragedies happen to the Jews of Spain? Because they built extravagant houses. Not that that is relevant to us here in Brooklyn. And I believe the reason why there's no kinah for the Jews of Spain is for the same reason why they played music when they left Spain. Because as tragic as the expulsion was, and as painful as it was, we never cry when we leave the galas, because we don't belong in the galas, and we should never be comfortable in the galas. Because we're not going to be here forever. And how could we forget that as grandiose as it was in Spain in the Golden Age, never has the Jew been more comfortable in a galas than in the Golden of Medina. You know how comfortable we've become in this galas? Did you know that 7 out of 10 Jewish chasanas that take place in this country are intermarriage today? That's how comfortable we are here. And America is not a destination. It's a temporary station. Friends, this was the reason that I thought of a number of years ago and I've spoken about it many times, and I've offered it on many occasions, but I visited Spain and Portugal last week. And Ein Beis HaMedrash Belichidosh. And after preparing for that trip, and after studying the history for some time, I believe we will uncover added layers of depth and understanding why we omit the tragedies of Spain. And what I'm about to tell you is not for the faint-hearted. So if you're a little dizzy now from the Tainus, and you're a little famished, now's the time. You know, if you need to relax, this is not the right chair for you. Okay? There are going to be a lot of very beautiful presentations coming up. This is not for the faint-hearted. We're here to tell you the truth and the facts, which are usually too hard to handle. Last week I was in Portugal, and I'm walking in the streets of Porto, Lisboa, Lisboa is Lisbon. The magnificent cities, the sunlight there is otherworldly, and I was so taken by the brightness of the atmosphere that I asked, where are we in paradise? And I was told, no, this is the contribution of King Manuel. King Manuel, when he became the king in approximately 1495, he lined, he tiled, the streets of Lisbon and Portugal in limestone. And the light limestone reflects the light of the sun. The brightness is remarkable. 
But I have to tell you, the beauty of Portugal and the aesthetic contribution of King Emmanuel belie and cover over the history of atrocity and inhumane crime perpetrated by King Emmanuel. We're all familiar with 1492. So many Jews come to, for- to Portugal. And at first they were free. But King João dies in 1495. And he's succeeded by a Manuel known as Manuel o Venturoso. Venturoso means the fortunate. And the reason why he's called the fortunate is because he was the ninth child of the Duke of Viziao. And look, Lahavdil, if you're the ninth child, you ain't becoming the Rebbe. Yeah, you get the drift. If you're the ninth child, you're not becoming the king. Not a chance. But he was called the fortunate one. Because after a succession of assassination and illness and death, when King João died, Manuel the Fortunate became the king of Portugal. But unfortunately for the Jews, Manuel wanted a shidduch. He wanted to marry the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella. Now, remember, she used to be married to Alfonso, who was a righteous king. Ferdinand and Isabella said, over our dead body will a king who countenances Jews marry our daughter. You want to marry her? You need to extend the expulsion to Portugal. And Isabella Infante was even more virulent because she believed that her first husband, Alfonso, who was good to the Jews, died young because he was good to the Jews. So in an act of tshuva shalema, she decides she's going to bring the expulsion to Portugal. And in the Tanaim of Emmanuel and Isabella Infante, it said, Almanas, that you persecute the Jews of Portugal. On December 4th, 1496, the king signs a decree ordering all the Jews to leave Portugal at the threat of death. But the king could not wait the ten months that he issued. And on the first day of Pesach, a terrible disaster was in store for the Jews of Portugal. We're going to come back to this. But this brings us, friends, to the darkest period in Jewish history. It's, a, it's something you'll never hear about and you may never hear again about. It's a subject that is so painful and jarring, it's very difficult to talk about, but it has to be known. At the end of the 14th century, beginning of the 15th century, a phenomenon occurred in Jewish history that never happened before and never happened again. And that is the spirit of the masses failed. Tens of thousands of Jews despaired of remaining Jewish and having Jewish descendants. They succumbed, and as painful as it is to say, tens of thousands converted by force and not by force to Christianity. You're not going to hear about this. There is evidence that in 1391, 200,000 Jews converted. And don't think it affected irreligious. It affected irreligious, religious, Rabbanim, Rosh Yeshiva, Moyalim, Shoichtim. And this is only the least of it. 1391. The most painful aspect is that many apostates rose in the churches and became the biggest persecutors of the Jews. 
And here's the big mistake. People think that in Spain you couldn't observe Judaism. It's not true. If you wanted to be a Yid openly, no problem. There's no problem. Yeah, your rights were severely restricted, but your life was not threatened. The problem was these hundreds of thousands of Jews who converted, who are conversos. They call themselves Anusim, compelled to convert. The Spaniards call them Moranos, which means pigs. That's why you don't use that word. And the Inquisition was occupied with searching out, did they really convert sincerely? So they would go to a city and they would look at the, uh, the chimneys in the winter. And any chimney that did not have smoke coming out of it in the winter, the families arrested and burnt alive. And there were underground networks of learning and davening. Yeah, but if you gave one word, if you let one word slip, that was the end of it. By the way, if you think, now nah, this can't happen uh, anywhere. This could happen anywhere. Do you know how this started? It started innocuously. There was an anti-Semite in 1378, a Spanish deacon, Ferran Martinez. He begins virulent sermons against the Jews. So what would we do today? Ah, anti-Semite, and we ignore it. But he kept at it. He kept at it for 13 years. And in 1390, his match caught on fire. And the first thing he did is he went to the housing department and he closed many shuls because of legalities of housing. That's how it started. And then he started a program on March 15th on the Christian Holy Day and the police controlled it. But on June 6th, the pent-up pogrom exploded suddenly throughout Spain. 70 kehilites were destroyed in three months. So let's stop here and make one compelling point. Yes, granted the expulsion was scheduled for August 2nd, Tishabov. But you need to know that was a little footnote in history to commemorate the expulsion of 1492 that was one calendar date would demonstrate a lack of understanding, sensitivity, and awareness of what was transpiring for an entire century. Pogroms, torture, public burnings, mass conversion. If you study the history, it's clear it would be inappropriate just to talk about the expulsion of observant Jews on 1492. So you say, come on, so let's have a day, let's have a kinah commemorating a hundred years of Spanish Jewry. This is the most painful thing that I've ever shared. Let's go back to the sermons of Ferran Martinez. Through those sermons, thousands of Jews were forcibly converted. There were Jews who stood up to the test, and I'm going to tell you about some of them. The grandson of the Rush, Rabbeinu Yehuda, grandson of the Rush, son-in-law of the Baal HaTurim. He gave up his life, Al-Kiddush Hashem, in 1390. Him, his wife, and his mother-in-law, the wife of the Baal HaTurim, all died Al-Kiddush Hashem. But the facts are, many great people did not overcome the test. Shmuel Abarbanel, the grandfather of Abarbanel, wealthy merchant, high-ranking Jewish political figure, was forced to publicly convert. 
He smuggles his son Yehuda out of Spain to Portugal. But he was so broken that he gave in in a moment of weakness that he announced that if he ever escapes, he would return to Judaism. He did. But many did not return. Rabbi Solomon Halevi of Burgos, at age 40, collapsed in the face of anti-Semitic violence. He was a great Talmudist. He was an expert in the Rambam. In 1390, he led his wife and his five sons to baptism. It was the most consequential act of conversion until now in history. He's now Pablo de Santa Maria. But he didn't stop. He went to Paris. He became a priest. He became best friends with the cardinal. Cardinal sends him back to Spain. He's now right-hand man of Ferrar Martinez's attempt to convert all Jews in Spain. Solomon Halevi had an old chavrusa in the yeshiva, a great rabbi, Yoshua Halorki. He says, Rabbi, how can you do this? How can you give up on us? You're a failure. What, you wanted to live with a, a, with a Gentile woman? And Solomon Halevi attacked his friend back. And then Halorki caved in. And he was baptized. And now he's Geronimo di Santa Fe. And Kaddish is said in every shul in Spain for these Rabbanim. And a great debate, everybody knows the Ramban had to face a debate in 1263. The Ramban had freedom of speech, not in 1412. There is no more freedom of speech in Spain. So the debate is held in Tortosa, led by former Rabbanim, Shlomo Halevi, Yoshua Halorki, against great Rishonim. And if you want to know what, what happened in that debate, there's a sefer, the Shevet Yehuda, written by Rabbi Shloima Ibn Verga. You could read about the debate between former Rabbanim who converted and the Rabbanim who remained true to Judaism. And then we always learn about the Abarbanel petitioning Ferdinand and Isabella. But he wasn't the only one. Standing next to the Abarbanel in the Alhambra Palace, was the other great rabbi of Spain in, in 1492. His name was Don Abraham Senor. And they both said, we will never abdicate our religion. But inexplicably on June 7th, Abraham Senor convert to Christianity and King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella personally witnessed it, sponsored it, and there are many reasons given why he caved in. He was very old. He was 80 years old. He felt he would die if he would be expelled. But the Jews at the time were at a crossroads. They didn't know what to do halachically, hashkafically. And all they had was to look up to their leaders. And when Abraham Senor converted, he was followed by 200,000 Jews. But you're not going to hear about this. Nor should you or ever have we ever have to talk about this again. Marvara Abay said, dear friends, a basic study of the history of Spanish Jewry in the 15th century yields a very clear explanation why the entire subject of this era is omitted on Tishabav. 
because we can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. It's simply too shameful. Never before and never again was there wholesale defection from our people. It is by far the darkest era in our history. Yes, there were thousands of isolated examples of Kiddush Hashem, but this was not by far the main course. We have no problem talking about the Crusades because we could, prob- we could proudly recite Goin Eretz, Nikiye Tahara, Pa'amayim Kidshu, Shem Hamayuchad, Bemoira. But if we were to talk about Spanish Jewry, it would be very difficult to talk about. And if you want to know what precedent is there just to omit narrative in Jewish history because of the sake of the honor of the Jewish people, we have explicit Gemaras. The Gemara Megillah has a whole sugya. Certain narratives we don't read about in the Haftorah. Why? Certain narratives we are not metargame. The Gemara says we're not metargame Isaiah. Why? And I believe a very clear parallel. This is the Mogin Avram and Simon Samach. Mogin Avram wants to know, you know, we read about the Masai Amalek because the Torah says, Zohar, why don't we read about the Egel? We should have Shabbos Egel. Everyone comes to Shul, the men, the women. We read a few psukim about the Chedo Egel. After all, the, the Mogin Avram asks. It says, Zohar Asher Hiktzavta. Says the Mogin Avram, it's a Dairaisa, but more important, Kevoidon Shal Yisrael, the Mogin Avram says. A mere cursory study will yield that despite thousands of examples of Kiddush Hashem, it does not show the Jewish people at their best. Ukvoid Yisrael haster davar. Hours late, I'm going to end off with one more nakuda. There's one more nakuda that should be mentioned that perhaps will give us insight why the Spanish Expulsion and inquisition is omitted on Tishbav. Let's come back to King Manuel. We said King Manuel first made a decree that in 10 months all the Jews would be banished, but he couldn't wait. So on the first day of Pesach, there was a terrible surprise in store for the Jews. Do you know what it was? Rabbi Avram Saba, author of Tzramar, writes, when he came to Portugal, King Manuel decreed that any child under the age of 18 was forcibly kidnapped and baptized and the parent never saw the child again. Tzramar writes in the introduction to his books that he never saw his children again. Were there exceptions to this decree? No. Every parent in Portugal lost every child under 18. And they were all baptized. How many? Tens of thousands. The Rivid, not to be confused with Rivid the second, the Balhasogus, there's Rivid the first, one of the Spanish Rishonim. He wrote a Sefer, Sefer HaKabbalah. It's a history work from the beginning of time until his time outlining the Messiah. The Rivid is grappling with the terrible persecution of forced conversion, whereupon the Rivid makes the following chilling observation. He says that as bad as Jewish history has been, there is one tragedy that has no parallel, that is literally worse than Chorben based Hamikdash, says the Ravid. Chorben? We look in the Navi Yermia. La Moves, La Moves, La Cherev, La Cherev, La Rav, La Rav. 
You know what Chorban is? Hunger, deprivation, starvation, death. That's Tishabav. Says the Ravid, forced conversion. That's much worse than Chorban Beis HaMikdash. I would humbly assert another reason why the episode of Spanish Jewry is omitted from Kinnis is because of this observation of the Ravid. Tishabav is reserved for those tragedies that are part of the Chorban or parallel or on par with the Chorban. But the episode of Spanish Jewry is literally worse than Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Little did the Ravid know that very shortly after he wrote these words, he himself was faced with the ultimate challenge. And this great tzaddik, historian, scholar, philosopher, author of Sefer HaKabalah, merited to be makdish nafshay al-Kedash Hashem. The Abarbanel writes on the last Pasuk of Ayvadya that even though hundreds of thousands of Jews went lost in Spain, there's a prophecy that v'golos hachel hazeh, asher basfarad, yarshu are hanegev, Abarbanel says this is a prophecy that one day all the Jews who went lost will return, says Abarbanel, so we hope one day, these by now, literally millions of souls, one day will be returned. But we're all mispalel, that we should be zoichet to be mekadesh shem shamayim with our lives, in our lifetime. As we say, nekadesh shemcha ba'olam. We should be zoichet to the ultimate kiddush shem shamayim, bebias goel tzedek, You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.